It's amazing to think that if I'm not mistaken, that the first land we own in the Holy Land at all is the tomb of Machpelah. First time that we have a deed, not that we Jews as shepherds thought the deeds to land was even appropriate. First time we actually have a deed, we purchase land in the Holy Land is the tomb of Machpelah. And it's a cave and it's a burial cave. It's a family burial cave. Is it just one of those things that Avraham didn't know because Mount Sinai hadn't happened yet, that you're supposed to fulfill the tradition of Genesis 3.19, you are dust and to dust you will return, but that's supposed to happen through burying in the ground, in the earth. So it's just that he didn't get that memo because he didn't get revelation. It's one of these like patriarch, matriarch things that maybe they didn't know about Kashrut yet and things like that. Or is there something else going on? The first line we, the first place we have is a cave. It's not arable earth. People are, someone is buried lying down on a piece of stone without being covered by earth. Tradition in ancient times is sometimes you would have carvings into caves in the land of Israel. You can still see them where people were inserted. And in other cases, there were shelves carved into the cave, but then also an ossuary, also a pit at which after the body decomposed, the bones would be gathered and placed into the ossuary. Hence the meaning of the biblical terms, my bones shall be gathered unto my kin because they literally were. So I promised when I mentioned this before that I was going to tell you a little bit more about eco-burial and Jewish law. Today's the day. So the main halachic source for burial is Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, which don't specifically refer to burial. They say, do not leave his corpse hanging on the post overnight. Rather, in the case of a criminal, do not leave his corpse hanging on the post overnight. Rather, you must bury him that same day. So it's the source from which we derive that, as we all know from Jewish law and from Jewish tradition, you got to bury very, very quickly. And we don't wait. And it doesn't even matter if the person's a sinner or a criminal. All of us, all bodies, deserve the respect of being buried quickly. But does it say in the earth? Well, many of the rabbis do. Rabbi Yochanan in Masachet Sanhedrin 46b derives from this verse both an explicit biblical prohibition against leaving a human body unburied, but also a remez, a hint, an allusion to a positive biblical command that we're supposed to bury human bodies in the earth. And Rabbi Yochanan is followed by Rambam and Ramban and the Smog, Sefer HaChinuch, and that we consider burying in the earth to be a mitzvah. So maybe it is a case that Avraham didn't get the memo yet at Revelation. But the Talmud also considers that burial in the earth is not a biblical deraita halacha. Considers the possibility that in-ground burial was merely the prevailing custom, and that other mortuary methods might also satisfy the prohibition against leaving a body unburied. And so as a result, important Rishonim and Acharonim, for example, Rav Hananel, all the way to Masachet Sanhedrin 46b, the Lechem Mishnah, to Avel 12.1, Yosef Karo himself writes in dissent from the, the view that the biblical commandment is to bury in the earth. In-ground burial is a rabbinic norm, not a Torah mitzvah. Now that's important. Rabbinic norms are important. And if something is derived that from the rabbis, we do it. But if it's a norm, then it does allow for other rabbinic views of what would satisfy it. And it is not um, because it's deraita. We have an agreement about what deraita means. Here we have dissent and pluralism regarding the rabbinic view. Its voice is strong because it articulates our values as a tradition. 
So by having rabbinic norms, we find a reflection of our values, not just a ritual technicality. Modern life raises new questions. I imagine you feel them as I do. I think about it probably more than I should. Jews are asking about the ecological, I certainly am, and fiscal sustainability of our burial practices. Cemeteries are filling up, especially in Eretz Israel, as well as in many American population centers. And one might legitimately ask how much flexibility Jewish law has for alternative mortuary methods. So the halakhic material here comes from the conservative movement. In 2017, the Shuva was passed by a vote of 10 to 7 at the CJLS, written by Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. So in 2017, we approved the Shuva Alternative Kavura Methods. And so it went through these halakhot because, and I'm proud of the conservative movement. As you know, I love the brand of conservative Judaism. And I think that people often don't pay attention to our sources. It's a brilliant shuva, as they usually are. And they bring together the sources and they teach us and they allow us to think for ourselves as we find a range of possibilities, which I'm inviting you to today. So when we ask this question, what else is possible? That's the, 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 the question, the shela that produces the shuva. It's important to remember as well, the codes often quote Rav Natronai Geon, who died in 861. And he wrote the following, not all lands are the same regarding burial practices. In a place which is hot and dry, like the land of Israel, they place the dead body in a cave and add no earth whatsoever, for they rely on the abundant dry heat to desiccate the body and prevent maggots. But in Babylonia, which lacks the dry heat, the custom is to bury a body in a coffin and place earth on the eyes and the face. And that's the reason we place earth upon the body, um, is that earth is its healing, as it is said, unto the earth you shall return. The acceptance is, in the codes, is that, of course, a cave burial is acceptable. So Abraham's not doing anything wrong. Of course, that's acceptable. In fact, it influenced the conclusion that just the body without the casket is even better than having the casket itself. And thus, in the Shulchan Aruch, Yosef Kara writes, If one places the body in a coffin and buries it in the earth, one has not violated the prohibition. But nonetheless, it is best to bury in the earth directly. So we have custom of the casket. We have the custom not the casket in a cave, in the ground. And I'm not going to quote green eggs and ham. It's a little, it's too serious. So we have a tradition, for example, in America, and and, and we're very connected to respecting the dead and respecting burial. And our tradition is, separate graves, and normally caskets, right? And unfortunately, we get a bad name for it, but a lot of state laws require a lot of cement separators, which we would rather not have Jewishly. We have a norm of separate graves for dignity, but nevertheless, as we can see with the burial caves, collecting bones together was the norm for centuries, as the rabbis knew and attested to. So sometimes tradition isn't what we think, as today's parsha reminds me. In fact, For many Jewish communities, of course, in the land of Israel, two-stage burial was the norm. What? So I'm reading from the tshuva. Although we have come to expect permanent burial in individual graves, the norm among ancient Palestinian rabbis was not that at all, but two-stage burial. Depositing a person's remains in a temporary grave or in a cave, then after the flesh decomposed, gathering the bones and reburying them in a family plot, either within smaller stone boxes called ossuaries or in a pit, Um, or in no ossuary at all. 
Although this may strike modern readers as macabre, archaeological findings confirm that secondary burial was practiced even in biblical times and was dominant among the Palestinian Jews until Amoraic times in the fifth century. Variations without graves are discussed without criticism at all, all over the Talmud. An excellent description of the practices is, coming from Amoy Katan, initially they buried people in ditches, and after the flesh decomposed, they would gather up the bones and then bury them in coffins. And Rabbi Yosef Kara quotes this passage verbatim in the Shulchan Aruch, affirming that this practice is permitted where it is the local custom. So while we maybe didn't inherit that norm today, it's not clear that that norm isn't available to us in understanding new forms of burial and eco-burial, and that it is not clear that we are tied to the each body gets its own grave as a requirement or a custom, let alone a coffin. Given the contemporary Israeli crisis in cemetery space, some scholars advocate for Jews resume secondary burial. Already in Israel, out of necessity, the Haredim bury in multi-levels, which we don't do in America. I get this question all the time. You can actually dig deep down enough, as long as there are a few hand breaths in between each coffin that you can put dirt on, you can go really far down. And so you can work your, you can dig a deep pit. You can't exhume a coffin already there or a body, but you can go on top, on top, on top, on top, as they already do in Israel. And then, so what are the possibilities for secondary burial and and our contemporary situation. The United States will not run out of land, but populated areas do have land crisis. And it's all well and good to say, do we really have to be concerned about land here? They might be in Eretz Israel, but the United States is pretty big. But do we really want to have a funeral and then drive an hour and a half to get there? I mean, and, and actually some of the eco-burial sites I've looked into for myself. When I was in California and I was like looking about, you know, I always think it's important to make plans and, and to consider the future. There were these great sites in Death Valley. So great. It's only a four or five hour drive. And then in San Diego itself, one of the reasons I was looking at that is if you think cemetery plots are expensive in Michigan, do you know how much real estate is in San Diego? The truth is we do have a crisis of cost and a crisis of land. And I haven't even gotten to the eco concerns, but I actually think you probably know them already. And I'll just say them out loud because we all know them. Is this really what God wants, which is pesticides, making sure the grass is green and, you know, fossil fuels coming out of lawnmowers to make sure the grass is cut. And for some people, that is what they want. But do we really think that putting money in a fund for perpetual care, that the burials we make today in two to 300 years, the grave will look just like that? We would like to think so, but it's aspirational thinking. And all you have to do is look at the old cemeteries in the United States itself. The way laws work, I mean, places go out of business. Is this, are we in an aspirational place even with that? That what we're doing and when it feels right is right. In Israel, the space problem is acute. Tens of thousands of people in Israel have already been buried in above ground parking garages. Now, this is different than mausoleums. They are essentially human-made subterranean caves built from concrete and natural earth. There's already the situation of them being buried because where's the land? And so we're trying to open up to like what is allowable and what is respectful and what is beautiful. Some people say it's cremation. Like others, I'm against cremation, not only because I do, I do think it's a desecration of a body by burning it, but it also, for people who say it's more ecological, it does take fuel, usually natural gas, to heat crematoria to between 1500 and 1900 degrees Fahrenheit, adding greenhouse gases. Human bodies often contain toxins, mercury from dental fillings, 
if there was any embalming fluid used, I know not in our burial, but they're often used to preserve a body even before cremation for non-Jews, then the formaldehyde is released into the atmosphere. So for these and other reasons, many of us are looking for environmentally friendly and sustainable mortuary methods, a few of which I'm going to mention here that come from the chuba. Have you ever heard of alkaline hydrolysis? It's legal in 11 states in America, including Florida, which has been known to have a few Jews, and it was first practiced in Florida. It literally means decomposition in water, and it is marketed as green flameless water cremation. And it's a little bit like that. Basically, you dissolve the body in an external medium, and instead of intense heat, alkaline hydrolysis uh, dissolves the, um, pardon, uses a solution of 95% water and 5% alkali, either sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide. The body is submerged in a solution, and depending on how high the temperature and pressure, the body's soft tissue dissolves within three to 12 hours, which washing into an inert sterile solution, which, okay, this is being marketed in Europe as discharged safely into the municipal sewer system. Now that, according to the tshuva, is obviously completely against Jewish law. But is the first part, what if it was a two-stage burial? If the body was liquefied except for the bones, and then that material was buried in an ecological way, and again, what's still left is some of the bones, which is the two-stage burial we heard about in ancient Israel, where they'd let the body decay. They wouldn't have a big plot. They'd have a small plot or collect in one plot multiple people from the same family with a marker. It opens up the idea of that if we do it in a Jewish way. Actually, could there be Jewish precedent for such a modern technique? Of course there is. Actually, in the, the halakha, in the medieval times, going back, I think, to the, at least to the Acharnim, if one has distant burial and the body has become putrid, because you're allowed to bury in the land of Israel, even if you, you were in France or Italy or Morocco, and you had, and it's hot, it's the summertime, you had to take the body a thousand years ago, it's not going to smell good. So halakha says, you may use lime to accelerate the decomposition and then take what's left. And there is no disrespect in this quoting from one of the codes. Very similar to alkaline hydrolysis in a way, if you have a kind of um, respectful accelerated decomposition, and then you bury the bones and the liquid with, um, in, in, in a collective burial. Um, so there are, and there, there are a lot of historical accounts that indicate the use of lime during, uh, to speed up decomposition during Jewish burial. So it may not be identical to what I'm talking about, but surprisingly close. And, um, and it is still considered to be honoring the body. There are movements in America today for composting and bodies. And the young people, I, I hope I'm, maybe I'm among them, um, are interested in what that means. After all, Jewish burial is essentially composting, though we forbid using the body for benefit. And here's a key. This is the problem with composting. It's okay to compost a human body. That's what we're doing already. We are green burial. But you cannot use the compost for human benefit. It's considered against Jewish law because it's too tempting. It's too tempting. Uh, in fact, there are even rulings that, against putting solar panels in cemeteries. The idea that you're trying to use that land for human benefit is too tempting to then become disrespectful to the dead. So to say, I want to grow food using decomposed bodies, 
we don't want to go to Soylent Green in, the, in, the, in, the, in this. I mean, it is a similar idea, right? So like, we don't want to go to a place where let's use those bodies. That's not Jewish. But it does leave open the question of what if there were just trees planted? And some of the composting things in America that they're saying, you know, they often come out of the Pacific Northwest, sometimes places like Vermont. They're like, well, what if we buried in a forest and we put a tree there? And you're not going to benefit from the tree. It can't be apple and things like that. It's got to be things you, you, you can't go eat from, uh, Shell Silverstein. Um, and, but you, wouldn't that be open to consideration? And the Chuva outlines that. In Oregon, they have the Urban Death Project. I, why does Oregon come up with names like this? I just don't think that's very good marketing. The Urban Death Project. The proposal, also far from actual construction, seeks to compost human bodies in a three-story pile of carbon and nitrogen-rich organic material, like wood chips and alfalfa, aerated automatically by the structure itself. The bodies would be laid at the top of the pile and decompose as they sink down. At the bottom of the structure, families could return after about two months to collect compost, cleaning the residue of their loved ones. So obviously, using the compost for farming would be forbidden. But is it forbidden? to take that and bury in, in another place. So those are basically the issues. The Parsha reminds us to examine what norms and values underlie Jewish burial. Two-stage burial was a norm. Composting without human benefit was a norm. Caskets were not the norm. A single grave for each person was not a norm. And the values underlie the whole process. Since ecology and respect for the earth and our caretaking of it are not modern values imposed on Torah, but values that come from Torah. How can we rethink the possibility of Jewish eco-burial today? While we should be proud that Jewish burial in America is still at the top of green burial options, and we're proud of that, what options could be even more green and accord and fulfill Jewish law? And will we be at the forefront of this or trailing behind the very tradition? that we brought to this world.